Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Uh, today, uh, on this Easter morning, we're going to continue our series on Who Do You Say I Am? Who Do You Say I Am? We've looked at the disciples and when Jesus first posed this question to them, and we've looked at blind Bartimaeus and his friend and who Jesus was to them, and uh, we looked uh, at uh, Claudia, the wife of Pilate, and and uh, the, what Jesus and who Jesus was to her. And today we're going to look at someone that uh, I'm sure that you've heard of before. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Uh, it says, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was setting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, Don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So as we look at this passage this morning, we begin to look at Mary Magdalene. The first thing I want you to close your eyes if you can, and, and, and I want you to think of an encounter that you've had with someone that changed your life, that impacted your life greatly, maybe changed your life for the better. Just close your eyes for a moment and think about that. A single encounter with someone And because of their words, because of their actions, or a combination thereof, your life was changed. I know for me personally, uh, there was uh, someone in my life uh, who uh, I had met previously, but had really not had uh, all that great an impact on me uh, until I had run from God and I was angry and I was bitter and frustrated and running from God as fast as I could. And this person reached out to me from nowhere. I hadn't spoken to them in uh, over a decade, uh, and it was strange that they reached out to me. And for whatever reason, them reaching out to me, when they did at that time, I was ready to go and talk to them, even though I'd been mad and bitter for years, angry at God, running from God as fast as I could. For some reason, when this person called, I went to them. And when I met him, he prayed with me, he talked with me, and he listened. And as I unfolded all of my pain and my hurt and my frustration and confessed my own guilt and my own shame, uh, as I talked to him and listened to him and I shared his words, but also his listening ear 
His attitude towards me, it began to melt my heart. And I know it was God who orchestrated this meeting together. And honestly, it changed my life. It, it is pri primarily one of the reasons why I'm standing here uh, before you today. Because I said I would never preach again. Uh, when I ran from God, I never intended to ever come back. I intended to stay as far away as I possibly could in my own anger and, and bitterness. Uh, but this man was obedient to God and reached out to me. And God, literally, he impacted and changed my life through this encounter. And this encounter has continued to impact me to this day. So hopefully, or maybe you've had a similar experience where an encounter with someone impacted you so greatly that it changed your life. And that's what happened here to Mary. Now, we don't know uh, a whole lot about Mary other than that after she encountered Jesus, her life was forever changed. Uh, he, she was filled with seven uh, evil spirits, which we'll talk about more here in a minute. We know that she was so devoted to Christ that after he died, or was while he was on the cross for those six hours, she was there with uh, uh, John and, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So it's Mary Magdalene, John, the disciple, and Mary, the mother of Jesus at the cross. Uh, during that time, we know that uh, she went back to anoint him with oil on that first Easter Sunday morning. And so uh, Jesus changed her life. One encounter, and she was never the same again. And so today, as we look at this, we celebrate this Easter weekend. These are the things that give us the ability to answer, who do you say I am? As we begin to look at the reasons why we celebrate, the reasons why we're here, it begins to answer that question, who do you say I am? Because Jesus is the one who conquered the grave, and he is the one of all words, uh, worthy of all worship and all glory and all honor. And I'll praise because he conquered the grave. And he is the one that gives our lives meaning. For without him, my life is meaningless. But because of him, I have life. And I have life abundant. For all of those reasons. And for even more. We worship him and celebrate him today together. Let us ask ourselves that question. Who do you say I am? Because baby, as we look at this life of Mary, Mary Magdalene, that we will be able to see ourselves in her situation, her pain, her hurt, her suffering, and the way that Jesus rescued her. John MacArthur writes that Mary Magdalene is one of the best known and least understood names in Scripture. Scripture deliberately draws a curtain of silence over much of her life and personal background. All of the Gospels uh, mention uh, Mary Magdalene, but they don't go into very much detail. One of the few real details that we have is we know that she was one of the first people that uh, Jesus revealed himself to and saw that he was risen. Mark chapter 16, verse 9 says, Early on the first day of the week after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven several demons. If you look to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, you'll see afterward he was traveling from one town and village. This is talking about Jesus and the first encounter that Mary Magdalene had with Jesus. 
After he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possession. So the first time that Luke mentions Mary Magdalene is to tell us of the encounter that she had with Christ. We don't know any details other than that she was filled with seven demons, with seven evil spirits, and at some point she had ran into Christ and she had been set free. Though we do not know the specific time, we don't know the specific place, what we do know is that she was from a Galilean fishing village of Magdala. Magdala. And it was just a few miles from where Jesus kind of had his headquarters uh, in, in this area based in the village of Capernaum. And so it is most likely that as Jesus was traveling around this area teaching and preaching with his disciples, that he had an encounter that Mary Magdalene, he ran into. And that in the process of that encounter of running into Jesus, that is when Jesus Christ set her free. And you can see throughout the scripture where Jesus had encounters, where people sought him out, and when he sought out others, and when he was at one place, and, and he would see an event, uh, such as when he raised the widow's son, there was a funeral procession, and he went and healed her because he had uh, healed the son and raised him from the dead because he had compassion. Uh, it was just like one of these. She was out, uh, out and about, and Jesus came in contact with her. He had compassion on her, and he set her free. This chance encounter with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-made manifest, incarnate in the flesh, changed her life. And as we look at demon possession in the church today, and, 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 and you know, there are lots of movies about it and what it means and, 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 and all of this, but uh, what I want to look at is the fact that within the scripture, demon possession is never really e equated specifically with sin as it relates with Jesus' healing people and setting them free. Uh, it's really, is the focus is more on the affliction of the possession rather than the cause of the possession. And so those who were demon-possessed were meant to look as, to see them as victims who were tormented and who suffered miserably because of this possession. They were miserable, they were sorrowful, and they lived lonely lives due to these demons who terrorized them and due to how society treated them. They were treated like outcasts and pariahs and they often battled insanity at the hands of their internal tormentors. And they were left all alone with just them and their demons. If you can look at anywhere in scripture and you look at stories of the demon possessed, you'll see that, you know, when, when the, the young boy, the father brought him to Jesus. First it was the disciples. The disciples couldn't do anything about it. Uh, Jesus then became involved, and when he became involved, what we see is that the young boy, they said, was throwing himself into the fire. He was mute. Uh, he would throw himself into the fire to harm himself, and that was an expression of the, the demon possession. When you look at the men who were in the graveyard, and they were out of their mind insane, and they were scratching themselves with rocks, and they lived amongst the dead in the tombs and in the graveyard, 
uh, you know, they were out of their minds, and the people, they were so crazy that the, the people tried to just bound them and tie them up and lock them up, but uh, they, they had a supernatural power from the demons inside of them, and they were able to break free, and, uh, you know, I mean, in, in that case, they were, you know, had thousands of demons inside of them, for when Jesus asked their name, they said they were a legion. Just terrible, horrible circumstances that awaited those who were possessed by demons. Miserable and lonely. And that is exactly how Mary Magdalene would have been before her encounter with Christ. Uh, John MacArthur, he suggests that Mary Magdalene was a prisoner of her demonic affliction. And most likely that included manifestations of depression, anxiety, unhappiness, loneliness, self-loathing, shame, fear, and a host of other similar miseries. In all probability, she suffered even worse torments too, such as blindness, deafness, insanity, or any of the other disorders commonly associated with victims of demonic possession described and the New Testament. All she was accompanied by were the seven demons that had invaded her life until she crossed paths with Christ, the one whom the demons called by name and they feared. Maybe you today are separated from God. Maybe it's because of a circumstance or pain that you've experienced something someone did to you, something that someone said to you that has caused you such bitterness, and you're bound and you're alone. It may not be demon possession like Mary faced, but you are alone and isolated because of past mistakes or because of the, someone taking advantage of you or hurting you or because of something, you know, you isolated yourself because of, of choices that you made. Maybe you feel all alone this morning. Alone and rejected. Depressed and afraid. Suffering without anyone even knowing or maybe without people simply caring. Rejected by the world and alone. Today I want you to know that an encounter with Jesus can change your life. You don't have to be alone any longer. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to run any longer. You don't have to suffer any longer. One encounter with Christ can change your life. If he can set a woman free from seven evil spirits inside of her, he can set you free from whatever binds you this morning. On this Easter Sunday, it is a Sunday to celebrate uh, Jesus' resurrection, and because of his resurrection, that you and I can be set free because he was set free from the grave. You and I can be set free from sin and the bondage and the pain that it causes because he was set free. You and I can be set free because he was raised from the dead, set free from the grave. You and I can be set free. So as you listen to this message, Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and understand that an encounter with Jesus today could impact and change your life forever. As Mary Magdalene followed Jesus, she heard him teach. She watched him perform miracles. 
She observed how he loved people. And she was there and saw how he eventually found his way to the cross. And she was standing there beside him as he led, uh, sacrificed his life, and as he died. Except for John, every other disciple fled. They ran. It was simply the Mary, the mother of Jesus, John, the brother of James, and Mary Magdalene, who was there at the cross when Christ was crucified. She had stayed near the one who had changed her life, who had rescued her. She had stayed near the one who had, on that one day, had set her free. And from that point on, she was devoted to him. She loved him. She cared for him. He had changed her life, but she was not going to forsake him when he was in pain. So unlike those other 11 men, uh, those other disciples who ran and were afraid, this woman stood strong. Because her life was changed by that encounter with Christ. She waited with Jesus. She watched him cry out from Calvary. And her devotion went and waned even as everyone rejected him. Even as he took his final breath. Even if he was taken down from the cross. And even after he was hastily taken to a borrowed tomb. Mary would, even after all of this happened, all of the trial, after all of the, the, the crucifixion, the six hours upon the cross, after he was taken down and placed in a borrowed tomb, rushed so that it could be done before twilight, she already knew what her plan was, and that was as soon as the Sabbath day was over on Saturday, on Sunday she was going to go straight to the tomb, and she was going to once again demonstrate her love and devotion by washing his body and anointing it with burial orders, what he deserved. Matthew 28, 1 tells us that after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Now this isn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is a different Mary uh, altogether. They go to the tomb. And when you look at what Mary Magdalene has faced during this weekend, when she watched the man who had changed her life mocked and beaten, when she watched him scorched and rejected, when she watched him eventually led to the cross and hung upon it and watched him die, she reflected on this time about how he had changed her life and that chance encounter that she had had with him and how her torment before him and her loneliness before him and her pain before him. Uh, she thought about these things, and I'm sure she thought about how he had set her free, and now the one who would change her life forever and set her free, the one she believed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that she believed to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he was now dead and in a tomb. And on that day, that Sunday after the Sabbath, she goes to anoint his body with oil to say goodbye one more time. 
to show her devotion because of what he had done for her one more time. And this final act, this final act that she was about to do as she was going towards the tomb, this act she was doing for Jesus because he was the one who delivered her from torment. And he was the one who had given her back her life. And he was the one who had showed her dignity and value. He was the one who demonstrated what life could be for her. Perhaps there are many like us, many of us, who we go to church on Easter or in this, uh, these times, we're watching it, we're at home with our families, and we're watching it, participating because everybody else is. We go because everybody else is. The family makes us feel guilty. It's a habit. It's something that we do. We don't want to fight back or argue, and so we just go along with the flow. But you see, this morning, today could be the day that your life is changed. Today could be the day that Jesus Christ sets you free. Today could be the day as you walk and you've gone through your, your life and as you came here and not expecting anything to happen, as you came here simply to do your duty, as you came here simply to do what everybody else does, to, what you do out of habit or what you do out of guilt or what you do uh, to please someone around you. You came and you're watching to see some songs, to hear some preaching, to maybe see a little bit of people acting and dramatization, and then you're going to go on about your life. It's the same old, same old every year. But see, this year does not have to be the same. Many of us go about our lives never expecting anything to change. We expect things to stay the same. We expect them to be whole hum drunk. Now, every day I get up, I go to work, I come home, I go to bed. I get up, I go to work, I come home, I go to bed. Daily routine. And today is just a day Another day in your routine. Another day in the year that you do what you always do. Not looking for anything to be different. But today is different because Jesus Christ has rose from the dead. And he is here today to tell you that he loves you. That he died for you. And that he will forgive you and set you free. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is call upon his name. And just like Mary, as she went to this tomb and she had no expectation other than to anoint Jesus, no expectation other than to prepare him for burial and to place him in this tomb where it would, he would never be brought out again. That was her expectation. Sad, mournful, hurt, depressed, crying. But when she got there, what she found was something completely different. Because Matthew chapter 28, verses 2 through 4 says there was a violent earthquake. And because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he approached the tomb, and he rolled back the stone and was setting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. 
So Mary came expecting to find a dead body, but what she really found was an empty tomb. The stone had been rolled away, and the angel of the Lord, who had rolled back this stone, he was perched upon it like he was speaking from triumph. Victory! Like it wasn't no big deal. Almost everyone agrees that the stone did not need to be even be moved for Jesus to have been resurrected. We can see uh, later on in the New Testament when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he went into the room without using the door. He just appeared there. So he was no longer bound by physical restraints and the laws of nature like that. He could just appear. And so the rock didn't have to be moved away for him to be resurrected. But the rock was moved away and the earthquake came so that when the people saw, they could see that the tomb was empty. And they would know that something had been done by God on this day that God had raised him from the dead, just like he promised, just like Jesus said would happen. Uh, he was raised. And that is what Mary Magdalene saw when she approached. I'm sure she was confused and astounded at the same time. Because as she walks forward, the rock is moved and the guards are all passed out in fear. And there's an angel sitting on top of the rock, almost mocking death. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting for me this morning to think that, that what we see is so condemning, to think that what we see is so final as human beings, that it's the last straw, that that's the end, that death is the final uh, to all of our life, that it's so final, that it's so complete, and that there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it, that to God, it's not a big deal. To this angel, it wasn't a big deal. He easily raised Christ from the dead, and he easily moved the stone away, and he easily knocked the guards down to something to us that seems so uh, out of our control, but it is in the control of an almighty, all-powerful God. That's why the Bible says, Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? Why? Jesus Christ defeated the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. God controls death. He has the power over death. So, we don't have to be afraid if we know Christ is Lord and Savior. It's not a hard thing for God to raise the dead. What seems so impossible to us, God, with but a thought can make it happen. We see this with Lazarus when he was dead. Jesus asked for the stone to be moved. And he prayed a prayer, but the Bible says that he only prayed the prayer so that the people around him could hear it. He didn't have to say a word. He didn't even have to ask the Father. All he had to do was will it. And Lazarus would have risen and came out. Because to death, death to God is nothing. Whilst you and I, we fear and a man lives and strives to prolong his life through medicines and treatments and 
to, man, to, to, to try to, 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 to escape death by, you know, hoping that someday we could be cloned and freezing our bodies and all kinds of crazy things because man is afraid of death. But the thing that we fear the most, death, God, he laughs at it because he's in control of death. That should give you and I comfort to know that the God of all creation controls death. And that means as Jesus Christ, Christ was raised from the dead, so you and I can be raised from the dead. We don't have to be afraid. But as Jesus was raised, you and I too will be raised. Death isn't the final uh, stopping point for us. In fact, it's just the beginning of eternity and the presence of God. Matthew 28, 5 through 7, it says, The angel told the women, Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. And come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Her head spinning, processing everything that was happening, what she, what her purpose was in being there and how she set herself up to say this one last goodbye, to do this one last act of service, to show her love for Christ. When she gets there, she's got to take in the stones, move the way. The Roman guards are knocked out. There's an angel sitting on top of the stone, and Jesus is missing. He's been raised, and so he, she sees it with her eye, and then she hears it with her ears. The angel says exactly, describes what's happening. You know, he's not here. He's risen, just like he said he would. He's risen. Now go and tell the disciples. Sure, her head was swimming. In fact, in John's account, uh, the Bible says that uh, she actually thought Jesus, when she runs into him, was the gardener. She was just all a mess, right? I mean, she, she had just had the craziest weekend ever. She had seen the one that, that, that had changed her life and saved her life. She had seen him rejected by the men who had followed him. She had seen him abused. She had seen him falsely uh, tried. She had seen him uh, uh, taken to the cross and, 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 and she had seen him die and she'd seen him rejected and struck and she'd seen him put in this tomb hastily and she, and she gets there to, to anoint him with oil and to, to, to prepare his body for burial the proper way and then all of a sudden he's gone and he's raised from the dead and she's trying to figure it all out so that when she finally runs into Jesus in the book of John it says that she thought it was a gardener until he spoke. But when he spoke, she knew who he was. Because it was the same voice who had said to the demons, get out of her, let her go. It was the same voice who lovingly spoke to her when everybody else rejected her. It was the same voice who had uh, taken her in and showed her uh, what it was to, 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 to have a life and to have life abundant, to no longer be in bondage. It's that voice. That it called to her in her darkest time. When he spoke to her, she recognized that voice. 
28, Matthew 28, verses 8 and 9 says, So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. And just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Now, here in the, the Christian Standard Bible, the translation I'm using, it says greetings. And the Greek word there translated greetings it was just a casual, ordinary way to greet something. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, uh, he was saying, hey, everybody, goodness gracious, it's glad, it is good to see you. Right? It wasn't like uh, anything like that. It was a casual, hey, how you doing? Hey, howdy. What's up? It's like if Jesus said, howdy, good morning to you. Hey, ladies. You never know who you might run into. Walking around a graveyard, huh? Nonchalant. Why? Because this was the plan all along. He wasn't surprised. He knew he was going to raise again three days later. He had the power of death. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he greeted them. And when they saw him, they recognized him. They worshipped him. They fell down upon his knees. That's what the Greek word means. It can be translated, they knelt before. They fell down before him. They knelt before him. And they worshipped him. And that's what you and I should do when we think about what he did for us, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. For whether you've been saved, not saved, or saved for, uh, you know, 50 years, when you and I think of what he's done for us and his resurrection, it's to stop us in our tracks that we should kneel before him. See, before you can kneel, you must stop. You must stop where you're at and kneel. And that good news should cause us to stop in our tracks, to reflect on what God has done for us, and to worship and to honor him. They stopped running to go tell the disciples when they ran into Christ, and they immediately worshipped him. John MacArthur writes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a central event of God's redemptive history. The resurrection is a cornerstone of the Christian faith and everything that we are and have hoped to be is predicated on its reality. There would be no Christianity if there were no resurrection. And so as believers, the resurrection should excite us because he raised, you and I can be raised also, because he raised and then his death was not in vain. It means that God accepted his sacrifice so that you and I could be reconciled to him so that we can know God have a relationship with him he rose again and if you look at verse 10 it says that Jesus told him uh, told them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there the brothers he's referring to are the disciples now Judas has killed himself, so there's only 11 remaining. 
Judas, who betrayed Christ, has now hung himself. John, the brother of James, had actually been there at the cross when Jesus died. But all the others, the other ten, they had scattered. Peter, who said he would never forsake him, would never, 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 never deny him, denied him three times in one night. He was so ashamed, so upset at himself, and the disciples as well for running and leaving him. When he needed them the most, they were ashamed and embarrassed. And they had committed sin. Peter, he lied and he cursed, the Bible says, with a great oath to get them to leave him alone. They sinned against him. And yet, Jesus said, go and tell my brothers. For even though they had rejected him, and even though they had fled, and even though they had sinned greatly against him, even though they doubted him, Jesus still loved them. And he still called them his brothers. In fact, in one of the Gospels it says, go tell them and Peter, further personalizing his love and his forgiveness of Peter who had rejected him so blatantly. Jesus didn't hold it against them. He didn't hate them. He didn't want to see them punished. He didn't want to see them suffer. He didn't want to see them feel the guilt and the shame. He called them brothers because he loved them and because nothing they did to him could cause him to love them any less. This morning, I don't care what you've done. Maybe you knew Christ as Lord and Savior and you ran as fast as you could because of something you did, a bad choice or something someone else did to you and you ran from him like the prodigal son. But just like the prodigal son, Jesus is waiting there for you, waiting for you to return. He's not wanting to punish you. He's not wanting to hurt you. He's not wanting to get you close so he can reject you. What he's wanting is for you to come to him and he will run to you and he will forgive you and call you child. He will call you son. He will call you daughter. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, he loves you too. The Bible says that he loved you so much, that God loved us so much that even while we were still sinners, even though we were still rebellious towards God and still hateful towards God and still sinning against God, he sent his son. God loved us so much. He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew upon that cross your name. And he knew my name. And he knew all the sins that I was going to commit. And he knew all the sins you were going to commit. And he knew what we were going to do and how we would reject him and how we blaspheme and how we hurt him. Yet he loved us and he died anyway. He died for you. And he rose for you. He died for me. And he rose for me. Don't leave this place the way that you came. Let this be the day that your life is changed and impacted by this man, Jesus. You're lonely. You're afraid. You're bitter. You're rejected. You're angry. You're hurt. 
Jesus says, I'm right here. Call upon me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. Take my yoke upon me, because my yoke is easy. He'll take all of that hurt and rejection. He'll take all of the pain and all the guilt and all the shame. He'll take it away from you, and he will set you free. Because he loves you, just like he did for Mary Magdalene. He could do it for you. Jesus was the one who had rescued Mary. He saved her, and he died for her, and he rose for her. Just like he said he would. This morning, I ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Every head bowed, every eye closed where you're at. And answer that question sincerely. Who is Jesus to you? Because the answer to that question will determine your eternity. Don't let this be another Easter where you go and your expectations of not changing are met. Your expectations of singing a few songs and then having some turkey or ham or whatever the case may be. Let today be different. Let this Easter be different. Don't run from him but run to him. Let this be a call today to call upon him as Lord and Savior because that's who Jesus is. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. He loves you. He loves you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word and I thank you, God, your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and that you love us no matter what. You have mercy on us and you forgive us. God, that even when we run from you, you wait for us to return, just like the prodigal. God, that even though we've sinned against you, you will forgive us and we'll just call out to you. You'll forgive us and have mercy upon us for every sin that we've committed, for every mistake that we've made, for every poor choice that we've made. God, I ask that you would touch each of these as they watch and as they listen. That you would move upon their hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would convict that today someone would come to know you as Lord and as Savior. Their life would be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for your protection and your guidance during this tough time. Help us to turn to you and not run from you. Father, I love you, we worship you, and we honor you in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, today is a day of salvation. Life is but a vapor and then it's gone. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed our next breath. So today, if you don't know him, you can know him. 
And if you will pray this simple prayer after me and you will believe it for yourself, you'll be saved. There'll be no more question about death or eternity because you will put your life into the one who controls death and eternity. So if you'll pray after me, God will save you. Father, I confess you as Lord. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die upon the cross and to raise again. And I believe that he rose again. I believe, Father, that you love me. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I ask you to be Lord of my life, to become master, to lead me, to guide me, direct me, to give me control. Help me to follow you, to seek you, to chase after you. In the precious holy name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer, then you're now a child of God. If you prayed that prayer and you believed it for yourself, you're a child of God. If that was you, if you don't mind, let us know. Send us a note in the mail. Send us a message. Comment on this post. Message us on Facebook. Let us know so that we can rejoice with you and praise with you and that we can also pray for you. God bless you. Love you all. Continue to be safe. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.